Welcome to Useful Idiots. Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. I'm Katie Halper. I'm just copying everything you're doing. Yeah, I know. That's that's very elementary school. I, I like know. it, though. So we have a great show. We're going to be talking great to show. Ani DeFranco. Yes. Fellow Buffalonian. Yeah. Right? A fellow to you. Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. I yeah. never lived in Buffalo. Yes, I did. I've never been there. You've never been to Buffalo? No. You should Why go. would I go? I, I think there's lots let's of reasons to, to go to Buffalo. Let's do a live show there. We, we should do, do a live, live show. show. Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are many reasons to go to Buffalo. A life well Although people tend many, not to find them. Yeah, but you yeah. could do, you, you, you should work for their tourism. Uh, yeah. What is it, chamber? Tourism kind of works in reverse with Buffalo. If you live in right. Buffalo, you tend to move to other places and right. then not come back. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it is a great city. The interview is very much in a certain zone, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a folk singer, very political, someone I listen to for a lot of my life. I thought that maybe it would be good to give back this this holiday season okay to give back to you give really? you the opportunity to share about your own life right which was very different which is very different i was not listening to, to you that, were not listening to Andy franco yeah um but she did mention some sports stuff she mentioned uh some basketball stuff uh which i didn't know the reference i didn't know oh, what well, she was, she was talking to. about the the nba uh con- right. controversy the nba's china yeah issue yeah yeah so she clearly follows sports yeah yeah, which I also do. I know. Yes. So, yeah, she's kind of like our, our in the Venn diagram. She's right. between us. Right, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so since you know about me and my youth and uh, how much I listened to her music, I saw her at Clearwater, I saw her in Tanglewood in Massachusetts, I saw her at the Beacon, I saw her in, in at Toads, I think, in New Haven. So it's reparations time. Tell me about your, about your sports life. Well, I wasn't a kid. I mean, I, I guess I, I, was a, I was a kind of a jock as a Oh, kid. were you a jock as a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you play? Baseball and basketball. Which mainly. were you better at? Um, probably baseball, actually. Oh. Uh, but, but I did end up, I, I, I have played professional sports, believe it or not. And I played in, in Mongolia. On the MBA. In the MBA, the Mongolian Basketball Association. So when I was, um, when I was about 25 in Moscow, I was playing on the street in uh, Moscow State University, and I, we were playing against a Mongolian g- guy, and he told me they had a league uh, in Mongolia. And so I was working on a newspaper called the Moscow Times. I went in the next day and quit and got on the Trans-Siberian Railroad. And on the way to Mongolia, I met a guy who had a friend who worked for a team there called the... Uh, the Mountain Eagles, Altainburgid, they were called. Okay. And uh, so I got a tryout when I got to Mongolia. So I, I played in the Mongolian Basketball Association in 1996. So wait, you were just going on like out there on the on the hopes that you would be able to get into the onto the basketball team. Were totally. They, were they like really bad? Yes. And there are probably not a lot of people who are willing to travel there to play basketball. No, they, it's really funny. They had a they had a rule that on, every team could only have one foreigner on the team. Right, because if not, it would just be all foreigners. Or no, no. I was the only foreigner who came to Mongolia. Uh, okay, I mean, you, we we made like a hundred dollars a month. Right. I want to be clear, like it was living. Yeah, and uh, so I, I got a subsidized apartment that had like rats in it, and and uh, and a hundred dollars a month, the equivalent of that. What did your parents think? Um, my parents were, didn't have a whole lot of agency in this whole, okay. yeah, I was already gone by that point. Right, I was yeah. overseas. So I was just moving from one scary place to another. Okay, got it. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I played in this, uh, and as, when I got to Mongolia, I found out, this is actually a funny story. The, the head of the Mongolian stock exchange had been, um, studying it in Colombia in 1994. The country or the university? The university. Okay. And that was the year, I think it was the Knicks were playing the Rockets in the finals. Okay. And he was so in love with watching the NBA on TV that he, he recorded all the games. And the the legend that I heard anyway was that he came back to Mongolia and they, they oh. broadcast all these tapes on Mongolian TV. And they were such a hit that everybody suddenly switched to playing basketball. It's, it's, it's kind of a wrestling country. They're oh, really wrestling. big in wrestling. Oh, wrestling, wow. I thought you were going to say soccer or football. So yeah. by the time I got there, there were, there were basketball hoops like in every courtyard. It's like Indiana, except really cold and Asian. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, Were they like stocky basketball players because they had been naturally Yeah, Mongolians are pretty. Oh, I mean because the wrestling thing. Oh yeah, a lot of lot of wrestlers. Yeah, gotta touch the woke button. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, safe space. Not terribly tall folk, I have to say. There there was only one. There was only one super tall dude in the league. Um, And he was a foot shorter than you. (laughs) No, he he definitely was not. He was he was a foot foot taller than me, but. but uh, people actually came to the games. There were like a you know thousand, fifteen hundred people per per game. So it was, were you a it, sensation? Um, I was known as the Mongolian Rodman. Yeah. So why why that? Just because you were because I couldn't Mongolian? shoot, and I, I at the time I was dyeing my hair different colors and getting in fights. The 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 owner was trying to stir up interest in the league, so we were doing shenanigans on the court. Right. Um, like what? Like starting fights, pulling people's shorts down during the game. I was going like to say, that. were you pulling people's shorts down? Were you pantsing them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it came was into totally my like head. globetrotter stuff. Yeah. It, was, it was funny. So, yeah, that's my You couldn't story. shoot? I am not a good shooter. So, what no. are you good at? Uh, rebounding, which rebounding. is another Rodman. It's a Rodman thing. So, you're good at getting the ball. You are good at shooting, but not the primary shooter. No, no. I'm. I'm uh, the. When the ball goes, when somebody shoots the ball and it comes off the rim yeah. and somebody has to grab it, that's, that's oh, what just catching. Is. That's the cat. So rebounding is, is the catching. Yeah, that's but you still can't throw it into the hoop once you do that. Not terribly well, no. So you're just good. It's basically you're tall. Uh, no, I'm not even that tall actually. Well, yeah. I mean, you're Compared naturally, to, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yes, like yeah. you have a natural. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, um, a, I'm a short basketball player whose only skill is rebounding. So that was that. It's not a great combination in America, but over there. Are you good at rebounding here or just there? I was you're actually the tallest. Right here, okay, yeah. so it isn't yeah. just a height thing. I was I, yeah. I was underestimating you. I yeah. was like, well, you're good at rebounding because you're the tallest yeah. person. Do there. not want to convey the impression that I'm particularly good at basketball. Yeah. But for for Mongolia, it, it worked. So. What's Mongolia like? What's the capital? Ulaanbaatar, which means a red hero. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What's it like, the country? Uh, it's awesome. It's beautiful. I mean, it's, uh, but it's a little weird. I mean, like it's a capital city where you walk down the streets and there's like livestock walking around and goats. You know, it, one of their big experts is cashmere, uh, the wool. Oh yeah. So there's, there's goats all over the place. Um, I know that. and right in the middle of the city, there are like yurt villages. So mm-hmm. you have like sort of concrete, uh, housing projects and, and, and then they'll have a, basically a closed off thing full of mud huts in the middle of the city, which is pretty weird. Uh, but wow. very, very nice people. Great, great city. Extremely cold. Any famous Mongolians? Famous Mongolians. Genghis Khan. I, saw, I just wanted to make sure. I was pretty yeah. sure that, was him, that he yeah. was Mongolian. There was, uh, there was actually an expedition to look for his bones shortly before I got there. They didn't wow. think they ever found it. So. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, interesting experience. I feel, yeah. Thank, thank you for, for you know, yeah, of course. giving back. It's yeah. the least I could do. You, we have to have a Mongolian uh, basketball player on. We, we should we should do that. And we, then we should also have a, a, a show where you tell us about socialist summer camps. Oh, or, yeah, I will do that, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any, uh, any uh, like, any, uh, uniforms or any, No, like, no uniforms, you know, no. Souvenir, souvenirs no. from that time? But it is funny how much I, uh, how political I was and... Uh, my, you know, my family did, we did do Russian-Ukrainian folk dancing. And they went to the Soviet Union, but by the time I was old enough to go, it, it hadn't, it collapsed. Really? Yeah. Not because we're particularly Russian or Ukrainian. I mean, we're, like, Jews are kind of Jews, as you, as you know. Like, that's their, ne- that's their thing, their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just happens to be that these people we knew did Russian-Ukrainian folk dancing here in the city. So okay. I did, Yeah. Are you, so you, are I gotta you, get you, find video of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we have to see that. Yeah. Did yeah. did it for many many years. Is it, is it is it something you'd be proud to show? I mean, when I was a little kid, it was I'd oh, be okay, proud I to see. show because it was so cute. Okay. Um, but yeah, we have the World Peace Olympics uh, instead of like the the color wars. Right. We have our bunks are named after like Harriet Tubman and Frank, which is a real exciting place to be. You definitely wow. want to. It, I just realized it's good. It's not it's not like attic themed or anything. It's just normal bunk. But I just realized that would be the Anne uh, Frank bunk in the attic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Pablo Neruda. We have a Pablo Neruda bunk. We have the Paul Robeson Playhouse. Very interesting athlete. Is Paul Robeson. P- Patrice Lumumba. Or we don't have a Lumumba. Uh, anything. In fact, we should. That's a good idea. Hmm. Um, the Roberto Clemente Sports Shack. He was very political. Great, great hitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we'll have to do this more. The personal is political. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Holidays. What do you celebrate? What do you grow up celebrating? Christmas. Me too, actually. I'm really? A Christmas tree Jew, yeah. Really? My family, we celebrated uh, Passover. It's the only uh, 
Jewish holiday we really celebrate. Wow, you don't do uh, Chanukah, Hanukkah, Sukkot, or Sukkot. That I'm impressed you know that. Hmm. I liked it when I was a little kid. I, this is funny. I went to like a Jewish school, which didn't really make sense because I wasn't religious at all. Okay. Um, but I loved making challah. Uh, challah is and, great. Yeah. I just like saying it. Yeah, I know it's great. Challah, and um, yeah. So Ani DeFranco is a folk singer. She's written a, a, two books. Her most recent book uh, is very good. It's a memoir. And she's very political. And I grew up uh, listening to her. She's probably the person who I've seen most in concert. Her really? Her in the magnetic fields. Yeah. Wow. She is on tour right now. So you're going to want to get some tickets to go see her. And uh, it was kind of embarrassing because I kind of fan. You fangirled I a little did. bit. I did. It was more of a weird. It was just more of a blast from the past because like. You had the cartoon hearts coming out pretty pretty hard did, at a couple right? of, it was couple very, of spots yeah, there. Yeah, I'm sorry. And I was kind of ducking out of the way. I know. I felt very. I felt kind of embarrassed. I couldn't help it though because it's embarrassing because I have every no, like 60 percent of her songs I've memorized probably. Which comes through in the interview it also. It does come through. Yeah. yeah. We are so excited to we be are. talking to Ani. Ani <laughs> or Ani? We'll get to that in sure. a second. Ani De Franco. Ani De Franco. Um, Buffalo's finest. Buffalo's yeah. finest. Buffalo soldier. Me and um, Rick James. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, and Ron Jaworski. A few mm. others. Yeah. yeah. And um, abortion providing doctors. Oh. Other heroes. Yeah. I have mm-hmm. a story about them. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know. cool. <laughs> that, yeah. Um, but uh, thank you so uh, much for making time. We know that you're absolutely. on tour. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, thank you. And can we just start off? Well, it's a little bit of an icebreaker, but let's talk about your name. Because this is something that you mentioned in, in, in the book, in your, yeah. in your really good memoirs, no, Wa- no Walls and the Recurring Dream, um, which viewers and listeners can see right here. Um, the, the, your name, which you didn't understand really the, the origins of it or the meaning of it until you were in your 30s on tour in Italy. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, so my given name was Angela. And uh, my brother, who's two years older than me, you know, when they brought me home from the hospital, this is your sister, Angela, Annie. So, boom, I was Annie, day yeah. one. You know, a little bit weird for the Americans to pronounce, you know, because everybody says Annie. And so it's a lifetime of correcting or not, just right. whatever. Call me whatever right. after a while. And then, so, and then my mother in, d- decided to spell it A-N-I. She's Canadian. So it, now it's 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 journeying from its Italian <laughs> roots, this name. And I end up in Italy on tour, you know, in my 30s, as you say. And I realized what A&I means in Italian. Anuses. Anuses. Plural. plural. A&I, yeah. <laughs> as it were. Yeah. And, and, and all of these, you know, this is maybe my fourth or fifth tour in Italy. And so all of these memories are coming back of being on TV shows and being interviewed and Talk to us about your name. And then I tell my little story, and and the host will say something like, oh, it's um, very different, (laughs) very different in America. So all that that time you you didn't know? (laughs) Nothing, nobody told me anything. Finally, one of uh, a sort of a friend I had made in Italy was like, by the way. <laughs> That's a sign of a real friend. It's like That's someone right. who tells you something in your teeth. teeth. Right. There Amen. you go. Plumbing your, your name teeth, means butthole. assholes in your name, whatever, yeah. same right. thing, yeah. So, right, so that's why you were saying that, like, in Italy, they say an, they say it like yeah, an, uh, yeah. right? They would the try to say Annie. Right, and you spent your to, life telling people, no, it's not Annie, right, it's Annie. Right. And then, said, you little yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're correcting them. No, actually, it's <laughs> Anuses DeFranco. No, please, please, call me Anuses DeFranco, yeah. Oh, and now, of course, there are... Many young women named, after named you. A-N-I. I have met a bunch. Right. I've gotten photographs. I've watched them grow. You know, fans of mine who had daughters. That's and so, so there's, a, there's a good tribe of yeah. Anis out there. <laughs> Ani tribe, yeah. It's a similar thing in Spanish where um, año is year. Mm-hmm. Um, and ano is ring or anus. Right. Um, anillo is, yeah. Anillo is, is uh, ring. But so when people who don't speak Spanish well can't do the nya, like they say yeah. espana instead of espana or espanol yeah, instead of yeah. espanol, they'll say like cuantos anos tienes. They're saying, you know, how many anuses you have or <laughs> right. happy new anus or what a great anus yeah. that was. And uh, Well, I anus. have several yeah. in case you're wondering. Yeah, okay, yes. yeah. Well, you, lo- you don't look a day, o- a day a- an anus over yeah. 20. <laughs> anyway, oh, and that's a wrap. Names. Thank you yeah. for listening. Um, 
So yeah, tell us about what you're working on now. Um, you're so prolific. You have so many albums. You have so many projects. You have organizations. You have political causes. Um, you're on tour now. This book is amazing. Um, what are you What are you thinking about? What What are you Are you thinking about the political landscape? You're very outspoken. Are you trying not to think about it? Is it too depressing? Is it inspiring? Where are you with all of mm. that? Well, as overwhelmed as the next guy, you know, for sure, with the political landscape business. Um, but yeah, I, uh, the thing I have coming out next is a, a, a record by uh, this sort of conglomeration we've come to call the Prison Music Project. Um, been working on it for five years or more, and finally it's mixed and mastered, and we're releasing it in May. Awesome. It's a record of songs written by men in prison. Wow. M many of them lifers. Um, and it's it started with uh, my friend Zoe Bookbinder, who is a singer-songwriter. She lives in New Orleans. Um, and she sort of sought me out because she had been doing years of songwriting workshops in prisons, in New Folsom Prison in particular, out in California. And she came to me with this body of material from the dudes, you wow. know. And she was like, check this out. Can we make it into a record? And um, How yeah, much of it was good? All of it. Mm -hmm. Just okay. amazing stuff. Raps, poems, fully fleshed songs. Some were um, pieces of writing that Zoe turned into songs. Uh, one of the pieces I took from a poem to a song myself. Um, and then we involved like lots of singers and players and producers. The, the record is really as diverse as the writers themselves. You know, it goes from hardcore hip hop to sort of punk rock to very gentle folk yeah. sounding. You know, it, it was a real challenge putting this record together, you know, and having it flow from this very different material to the next. And I, we interspersed some of the writers' voices, little snippets of, and hopefully, you know, our mean, our, our goal is just, should you listen to this record start to finish, I think at the end, the feeling that you come away with, I hope, is, wow, you relate. Mm -hmm. You relate to the writers and you feel they're just like me, you right. know, um, because that is the truth of it, you know, and I think for those of us whose lives aren't personally impacted by mass incarceration you know if we don't have a loved one or a friend in prison um we just it's easy to not really know what's happening that we have two million people you know locked in cages um so in the united states so yeah so that's coming out in the spring and we're gonna you know try to get what you know get more dialogue flowing if yeah. we can with that project about and how many artists are on the record well, there's like 15 tracks. Okay. Um, there's one wonderful, he's uh, in his late 70s, um, Ken, a writer uh, in New Folsom. Um, again, a life without parole um, prisoner, and, uh, but he's an amazing songwriter. Mm. So there's about three of his tunes on the record. Okay. And so different people, did any of them record from the prison? Well, or yeah. Is that we, possible? Or? Two of the pieces are recorded over the phone wow. one of them uh was a fella who was out on parole for oh. a time so we were able to get him into a recording studio wow. to record well his piece he's unfortunately back in yeah. um and the rest are sung uh, pretty much by women which i oh, i think is a really cool juxtaposition you know these hardened men with these you know hard journeys and then these women's voices bringing them to life yeah so it's men wrote the songs but they're but women are mostly singing women singing them okay. except for the authors themselves and then john boutet i don't know if you know him he's a new orleans singer a wonderful he did the tremace yeah quite theme right, right, song yeah. and whatnot he has a wonderful long career and so he is one of the singers he's the only male singer oh, on the wow. record that's not one of the writers. So. And was that an intentional decision that you made, or did it just camp? I mean, I think we were way. just enlisting. Yeah, John John is such a wonderful singer and spirit in right. New Orleans, and so we were just kind of roping in. 
yeah. whoever we could to help oh, realize this project. Princess yeah. Shaw is somebody I've been working with a lot in New Orleans. There's an incredible documentary about her on Netflix called Presenting Princess Shaw. Oh, okay. And she lives in New Orleans. She's a singer, and she's singing on one of the tracks and all kinds wow. of singers. Yeah. That's great. I just interviewed for my other radio show that I have at WBAI and the podcast. Oh, I interviewed yeah. um, people in town for this Sunday. There is an event for Troy Davis's execute. You know, uh, it's the anniversary of his execution. There are all oh. these people who have been affected by the death penalty, including. Um, Yesterday, I spoke to the father of um, um, this, the young black teenager shot by that guy, Michael Dunn, for playing music, basically, loudly yeah. from his car. He just shot him. Mm. He, like, fired his gun to, into a car. And the father didn't want him subjected to the death penalty. Also, I spoke to the uncle of um, Oscar um, Grant, mm. who was killed in Bart at the Bart. Like, mm. on, anyway, oh, he was handcuffed. Uh -huh. And mm. anyway, just thinking of all the the way yeah. that people's lives are obviously impacted by incarceration yeah. in a way that you don't think about if you're not, but it's right. just so... Uh, nor the death penalty. Right. I don't think a lot of us really take the time to work through that in our heads and, and what it means. I wrote a little bit about it in my book. My manager uh, was involved in criminal defense work and anti-death penalty work, and so I met, you know, that sort of whole community of... Yeah lawyers who defend yeah. people and work against the death penalty and learned a lot about it, you yeah. know, um, and came to the feeling myself that death penalty is just an, an extension of violence. It's a continuation. Right. It's not a healing. It's yeah. not a closure of, it doesn't, even the victim's families and the most right. powerful, powerful, transcendent, um, uh, you know, way that you can deal in the aftermath of violence um, is, you know, reconciliation, of yeah. course. You know, these victims' families right. who there's an organization I met through Susan Sarandon oh, yeah. and Sister Helen Prejean. Yeah. Um, who wrote Dead Man Walking. Yeah. Yeah, Sister which, Helen, of course, has done this anti-death penalty work right. for decades and decades. And, um um, you know, I met a lot of people through them, you know, MVFR, Murder Victims, oh, yeah. Families Rennie, Rennie for Christian, Reconciliation. Right? He started it. He, he's someone whose right. father and brother were both killed, and he opposes the death penalty. He's mm -hmm. now an elected official in New Hampshire. We mm -hmm. should have him on the show. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, okay. yeah it's, it's, an, it's just, really amazing. It really is like these people show us how it's done. Yeah. You know, forgiveness, not forgetting. Yeah. You know, but uh, and healing, you know, that we have to we have to come closer together after an act of violence, which is just a, a manifestation of being a part of being separated, yeah. of being wrenched, of not understanding your connection to another, you know? And so to reconnect is to heal that wound and, yeah. and to provide, you know, the, both the perpetrators' families and the victims' right. families a way forward. We had... Um yeah, I mean, so many times people say, what would you do if it was your mother, your father? And then it's like you have people who were like, it was my mother, it was my father, my wife, my husband, and I don't want that to happen, the death penalty. Um, and we actually had, um, well, I, uh, Chase Boudin on, who just mm -hmm. won San Francisco DA's race. I don't know if you oh, know, but cool. he's very in involved in... Um, thanks to us. Thanks to us, <laughs> he won. It was a very thin margin of victory. Oh, wow. Um, He's, uh, his parents were in the weather underground, uh -huh. and they were involved in a killing of someone, and they, uh, his mom is now a big activist with, and, you know, works with Angela Davis on mm -hmm. restorative justice and reconciliation. Um, and also, I was thinking about this when I was rereading your book um, and your poem, Self-Evident, which mm -hmm. is about 9-11. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know about these people, um, uh, uh, Phyllis and... Um, Orlando Rodriguez, their son was in the second tower, and he was killed. He left him a message, like, after mm -hmm. the first tower. Um, and they immediately started talking about not in our name, like, don't, don't, mm -hmm. not just Iraq. They're mm -hmm. like, don't invade Afghanistan in the name of our son. And they wrote a letter. The New York Times, of course, wouldn't publish it. Why right. would you publish that letter? Right. I mean, so, um, and she befriended the, what was it called, the 17th hijacker, um, mm -hmm his mother, mm -hmm. like, and they do a lot of this work mm -hmm. with them. It's just an amazing story. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, make no mistake, there's 
a process of, you know, anger and yeah. that people have to go through, you know. But to stop there with anger and vengeance is to never break the cycle. Yeah, and not to mention, of course, how classist, racist, and innocent killing it is. Yeah. That's the other thing is that yeah. even people who are, I mean, I'm against in principle, but some people who aren't, they just realize, like, maybe we should put a pause on this. Right, but. right. That's a, a, a very powerful uh, truth is that even if you are not against the death penalty right. in principle, it's not perfect. Innocent people right. are, are right. executed. I yeah. think most lawyers would tell you that the system is, is kind of a joke when it, when it comes down to you know, effective counsel for right. the people who are, you know, and the, and the, the difference the in the biases. way that people are charged. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. it's, you know, I think there, there are even people who I think in principle are in favor of the yeah, death penalty right. who just say this does, it's, super it's not working. To, yeah, yeah. Right. it doesn't work. Yeah, and every time there's an exoneration, people think it's working, but it's not because there are all these people who have already been killed and they don't have the resources to put into looking to prove that they're innocent because oh. they're trying to save the Nor next person would they. on death oh, row. Oh, yeah. I that's, mean, sorry, I mean, yes. right, I mean the people who are in the, uh, fighting <laughs> yeah. for death row inmates. Yeah. It's like they've been the next case. They can't, yeah. they can't, like, pause what they're doing to prove that the last right. person was innocent. It's something right. so sordid and dark. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, even the, yeah, I, I work with an organization in New Orleans called the, the Innocence Project, yeah. and, you know, they're freeing people after dozens yeah. of years of wrongful uh, incarceration. Incar yeah. And, um, you know, most of them, in order to walk free after losing much of their life to a wrongful, usually racist, classist sort of conviction, they have to sign saying, I did it. Oh, even you, though right. the DNA, even though it's now proven you didn't do it, they just they don't want a lot anybody suing them, you uh, know, yeah. and they don't and they just want to be off the hook, you right. know, the the prosecutors, you know. So it's yeah, it's, it's really sort of heart sickening. Really, yeah, it's really dark. Um, well, that's gr a great project. Yeah. Um, and what about the electoral politics? Are you? Uh, I know you were fellow Bernie bro last time. Yeah. Um, are you? Are you backing anyone? This I mean, time? I've loved Bernie for as long as he's been in politics. Yeah. You know, fighting the good fight. You know, um, often a one-man army yeah. up there in Vermont. Um, but I don't know. Honestly, I I don't watch any of the debates. Yeah. I can't stomach any you of can it watch, watch, uh, we do drinking games oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 i could watch you yeah. drinking yeah. and watching the debate maybe in fact i, I tend to get all my yeah. news sort of third hand because it's so overwhelming and terrifying to yeah. me you know and you know somebody comes off as too strident or too shrill or too or yeah. their lapel is crooked yeah. and suddenly you know there's all this judgment and all this infighting and all right. and I for me it's just I'm going to show up on voting day sure. and I'm going to do my duty yeah. um, and I will be psyched about you know I think there's a lot of candidates yeah. to be excited about in the democratic field and certainly just the you know the actual <laughs> coming through a progressive thought and politics yeah. in the democratic party now I hope that that is allowed to continue as it must in order for the Democratic Party to be relevant again, I right. think. Well, what do you think about the, there, there's been this explosion of kind of reaction to that, right? So we started to see stories that were leaked to the Times and the Washington Post. Their Democratic donors are very upset. There's anxiety about the field. About, about, about Bernie. Spe specifically Bernie and yeah. Warren, for the most part, that they're, they're worried that, uh, you know, because Biden is an ineffective candidate. Now, Devil Patrick is in, Michael Bloomberg is in, there's all this money pouring into the campaign right. to try to prevent the per, sort of progressive politics from doing well. Um, did you, what, that what is do you what feel? I find terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the youth vote is going to yeah. decide this election, exactly. and the youth are not interested in centric, centrist, wishy-washy, pseudo-Democrats. Right. Republicans and Democrats yeah. clothing it's right. we it's been proven I feel like so many times now and um, in order for the Democratic Party to come back alive to resuscitate itself yeah. it has to respond to its base which are younger and more progressive than all those worried people with the money so right. if they disrupt the natural flow of the Democratic Party getting reclaimed by all the voters that we actually are vital um 
it will be it will be really bad for everybody i really hope that those moneyed scared people can understand that it's it's not about them (laughs) anymore you can curse, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. okay, good. And you're like, money scared people. Yeah. I all the words were going in my <laughs> yeah. head. And I was like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not uh, inspiring to see that at all. Um, and I actually remember, I just realized that one of the places I saw you was at, um, I think it was Madison Square Garden at a benefit for Ralph Nader uh-huh, years yeah. and years and years ago. Yeah. Why don't you just go ahead and turn off the sun? Because we never live long. Um, I remember Ben Harper was there and played the song Sexual Healing, and there was a very angry, strident woman in the audience who was like, who was a pro-Nader guy, and maybe she didn't like Ben Harper's music, or Marvin Gaye's, but she was like, we don't need a sexual healing, we need a political healing. It's like, I think you're, you're, you know, you're preaching to the choir. We're all here for literally a Ralph Nader concert. I don't (laughs) think you need to yell at Ben Harper unless you were trying to just change the So you're getting the the metaphor then. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I know. It was very, yeah. Um, Yeah, you know, that was a tricky one because I I struggled with showing up for that that day because um, I understand that, unfortunately, we have to be very strategic with our vote. Um, voting your heart and your spleen is not always going to get the best results for the most amount of people, which I sort of see as my duty as a voter. Yeah. You know, to be responsible to the whole, that's what I think a vote signifies, sure. you know, is showing up for your society. So I was very afraid of, you know, the nader, um, you know, the trifurcating of the vote. And um, Ralph called me directly and said, you know, let's talk about this, which I thought was very honorable and forthright. And it made me decide, okay, I'm going to show up for this event and for you, but with a press release that says, you know, I think that my priority is voting Mm -hmm. anti-Bush. And that is what I and promoting as a strategy. Um, so vote your heart until the primary, and then be strategic. And um, and he said he was cool with me coming with that. It's funny, though, because in retrospect, you know, the sort of reductionism of the media, and, you know, nobody remembers that press release. So in oh, retrospect, I've been asked many now? times uh-huh. about being part of the spoiling of, you know, you're like, so wait, I wasn't on the Supreme Court. I didn't yeah, vote right. to give the election to right. Bush. What are you talking about? But it is hard to, you know, as we know, sort of have nuanced right. um, stances and opinions in a sort of a reductionist well, they've, dialogue. They've even gone farther than they have previously about the rhetoric uh, going after people who support third-party candidates. I mean, after, after the Jill Stein uh, mm-hmm. episode in 2016... You started to see this word in the press, neo-naderite. Um, you know, they were talking about anybody who would even think about taking a vote away from a Democrat for any reason. It's, you know, it's, it's not just a bad ideological choice, but, you know, it's somehow worse, like a, you know, a foreign conspiracy right, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you're so it's, uh, with Putin yeah, all of a sudden, it's been, it's been, it's been it's the, a very scary. Yeah, yeah the atmosphere we, for that has, has gotten. We do a lot of judging yeah. And it's just of not each good other. organizing. That's the other thing. Like, yeah. if you really cared about winning, you don't shame, you don't vote shame. You right. don't vote or shame. Yeah. You, like, reach out to people who you think maybe could be moved, or if you think that people are lost causes and you just ignore them. Like, I mean, I don't think you should do either of those things. I think we need to fight for everyone's vote. And if you really care about defeating Trump, that's obvious. And there's a lot of irony, I think, where people who claim to be the ones who are just care about defeating Trump and, and call people who are voting third party, like self-indulgent, purity politics people, there's a lot of projection. Because mm-hmm. if you really want to get this guy out of office, you don't alienate and shit on these people. Yeah. You try yeah, to truly, win. Yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if you vote idealistically more than strategically or one way it's so superior to not participating you know to not voting anyone who is voting is showing up and gets points you know all all the points they need in my book we have different opinions about how to use your vote and how to negotiate the circumstance we're in that's all legit i mean for me it's just about did you vote yeah 
and also making candidates why don't you know candidates are, are supposed to be in, inspiring people right yeah. we're not supposed to be shame it's not i mean it's not on people to vote it is but it isn't like it's not that's not the way the world is they don't you they have to make the the people vote as much as maybe we'd like to think of it as our civic duty like we have to look at what's happening when people don't vote mm -hmm. ranging from like you know gerrymandering and incarceration and felony laws and right and you write about this all the yeah. time but, yeah um in, in that regard i mean you're from buffalo obviously there are a couple of districts in and around buffalo that went for trump um some of them were sort of ex-union heavy areas. I mean, you're from the area. Can you do you know people who who have you know gone over to that kind of politics, or and can you speak to a little bit about what what maybe people in the region? Like your your uncle, who you talk about in uh, Create yeah, Rock I by don't Baby, know. Rock. I don't know how they voted. Um, I'm sort of lucky in that most of my extended family that I'm connected with are pretty progressive people, mm -hmm. like startlingly <laughs> you know I didn't have to come up with anything right. on my own I was taught yeah, yeah. I was given a lot of good information as a child um, you know I mean I, I did marry into a family now that uh, has a lot more Republican and conservative a few Trump voters so so now I'm getting that experience that uh, many white people in this country um, are having now where there's great divisions in families. Thanksgiving is more complicated than ever. Um, I mean, for me, I really think it just comes down to racism. You know, I just think that if you are susceptible to racist messages, you can be swayed to voting very far against your own interests. Yeah. I don't care what your job is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Trump is not looking out for it or you. Right. Um, but I think that we still have this Achilles heel of racism and misogyny, you know, patriarchy. You know, these things run so deep um, that you just have to start poking in there and you can arouse that in people. So, you know, I just think it, it shows us how much work we have to do on our soul yeah. in America. Yeah, it... Um I do think that there's a, it's funny you say that susceptibility to racism, because I think one of the big debates we're, that's happening today is this debate about, you know, racism versus economic anxiety. But, you know, I was, I think about like the Holocaust, Weimar Germany, right? And most people agree that what was happening there made people that much more susceptible to Hitler's message, right? Like it was the economic upheaval and the I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on, obviously. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not, I don't want to oversimplify. Yeah, punitive reparations. Punitive reparations, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, yeah demand that, like, Germany, you know, pay for everything. And I mean, I'm a Jew, so I'm not, like, mm -hmm. I'm not light on Germans. But um, it wasn't, a, it probably You're wasn't a good adjacent. idea. <laughs> not a German Jason, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think that if we want to make people, you know, that's why messaging from Sanders is so important, where he talks to people who are working class. And I think of that lyric about, what is it, the, the trico, um, you mm. say, I, I moved here from Buffalo, but that's nothing. The well, trico yeah. plant well, moved, moved to, to Mexico, Mexico, left my uncle. Oh, you're uh, good, you're yeah, good. Said, said here's your last paycheck. I haven't paycheck. sung that one in a while. Have yeah. fun growing old. Uh, yeah. Take me home. I'm, I could recite like all uh. your songs, yeah. <laughs> and I moved there from Buffalo, that's nothing. Trico plant moved to Mexico. Left my uncle stand out in the closet. Here's your last paycheck. Have fun growing old. Take me home. Is that real? Was your uncle really employed by them, or is that a kind um, of a metaf uh, more of a metaphor? Not literally no, i mean a lot of that family the, not it's not literal yeah, um, but it, yeah but i do have family that worked in steel um for lackawanna or uh in erie pennsylvania oh, erie, okay. and so that that wing of my family um um and then just everybody else in buffalo new york right. who worked yeah. at bethlehem uh steel you know, I yeah, just yeah. growing up in that era yeah. of doom, right, right. You know, economic doom, right. As you say, it, yeah. it fosters exactly <clears throat> right tribalism in right. people. And so, if we can speak to that and say, hey, I mean, I, one of the things I love about Sanders and what's scary about Trump is he says, 
I feel your pain. You should be angry. Blame Mexicans and Muslims. And, and, and Sanders says, I feel your pain. You should be angry. Don't blame Mexicans and Muslims. Blame inequality. Mm-hmm. Blame greed. You know, mm-hmm. and that's such an important thing to speak to those people. Right. Instead of just like writing and, them off. Right. Yeah. And connect ourselves. Yeah, with exactly. That. Right. right. We all know the game is rigged. Right. We all know it's very unfair. And exactly. We, who do you hold accountable? Who right, are you blaming? Exactly, that's right. all and that's, we have yes. to figure out. Right. It's like our understanding is is kindred yeah. in and, many yeah. ways. And there's this scary narrative that equates those two things. It's like, no, you want to speak to the people who are angry. The question is what you tell them to do with that anger, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you in Buffalo, if you go to those neighborhoods, when yeah. I, mean, I lived there where the, where the Bethlehem workers used to live, it's you can like buy the whole block at a city auction for a thousand dollars now like the houses are just hundreds of dollars they cost and it's like a ghost town and i think people who live who live in that area of course they're angry i mean that it's it's understandable but um just nobody's reaching out to them with any solutions that make sense feels like yeah yeah it's like the the guy way up there who moved all your jobs overseas is you know it's easier to point to the guy next to you who took your day to take the one job left and it's yeah yeah it's just education, yeah. really. And I think about your song, Not Angry Anymore, mm. um, which is about uh, it's about uh, uh, growing up. I don't want to seem like a stalker through your lyrics, but it's like growing up, it was just me and my mom against the world. All my sympathy, th- sympathies were with her. Yeah. Growing up, it was just me and my mom against the world. And all my sympathies were with her when I was a little girl. Now I've seen both my parents out the hands that they were dealt and as each year goes by no more about how my father must have felt i just want you to understand that i know all the fighting was for and i just want you to understand that i'm not angry anymore no i'm not angry anymore and and then the chorus is i just want you to understand that i'm that I know what all this fighting is for. I just want you to understand that I'm not angry anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, mm-hmm. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> um, and I think of that myself as like a way that, you know, there's so, I have so much anger and so many people who care about people do, but that there is this point where you want to like redirect it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I was younger growing up and I'm, you know, I'm a very like lefty radical feminist and I grew up on the, I'm like a stereotype, I grew up on the Upper West Side, went to a mm-hmm. socialist summer camp. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I could be very angry and dismissive of people who weren't already with me or mm-hmm. with us. Like if you're not for same sex marriage, you're a bigot, that's it, get out of here. And I've really changed a lot on that. I'm not like not for same sex marriage. I'm obviously but I'm more like, oh, I get that we need to actually reach out to people. And the anger can be very, like, it can feel great in the moment. But there is something there where we can, like, yeah. we can recruit other people and then I'll be angry against the right people together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of, sorry, my just head yeah. just went in a million yeah. directions. But, like, well, she's asking, is that, is that what the song is about? I mean, if yeah, or, right, or yeah. is there anything that, like, does that, the narrative of that song apply to politics at all for you? Sure. I think more and more. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I mean, you know, that song I've joked with my audiences over the years when I play that song live, Angry Anymore, um, you know, if they, they'll respond or something, you know, when I first hit that chorus, like, yes, yeah. yes, we're tr- doing this too. We're trying to shed the anger. And I'll joke with them, like, you don't think this song is true, do right. you? You know, <laughs> yeah. And it it's one of those examples for me, um, which is not... It's just a subconscious, I think, motivating force for me when I'm writing to try to create, recreate the world, you know, that I'm living in, that I was given. And so that song is a really good example of something that I had to write and sing over and Mm. over and over to make it true, you know, and you really can create like a mantra almost. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 like a mantra. And I and I totally feel that more and more in a political, the political arena, you know. Now we are like deeper and deeper submersed in this cancel culture right. and this everyone's outraged out, about yeah. everything everyone else does all the time. Right. And we're kicking people off the planet left and right. Yeah. And it's like there's no way out of yeah. here that way, you know. So we do have to somehow – 
reopen ourselves yeah. to each other and, and 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 you know and of course our families are great petri dishes for practicing yeah. this treating all of humanity like your family yeah. yeah it's it's hard stuff and but i think it we're in a very acute desperate situation now where the anger is just sort of drowning out every chance for dialogue and yeah. and um joining forces and you know unifying and um so yeah i really do feel a stronger and stronger will to be less of that yeah. outraged yeah. dismissive youth yeah right you know i mean i think the energy of youth and that outrage and yeah. that anger is very powerful and useful but at some point in our evolution we have to take a step back think yeah yeah, and, you know, and stop sort of, for me, flailing wildly between judging others and judging myself. Yeah, you suck, right. I suck, you suck, right. I suck. Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> how about we're all just trying right. and we need to stay open to each other. Yeah, and it's not sell- it doesn't mean you're selling out. It doesn't mean you're, like, you know, becoming conservative. If anything, it's just, like, making a, a bigger group of people who you can have fellowship with and then all together be angry at the real bad guys together, you know? Like, just mm-hmm. redirect the anger. Mm-hmm. And um, the policies, you yeah. know? Right, Even right, right, take of it off the people. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I, th- I feel like... But when I say people, I mean, like, the, pe- like the Trumps, right. not the, like, people on the ground, yeah. like, little guys who are being seduced by him, who we can maybe yeah. reach, you know? But sorry, exactly. I got off your Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the truth is, if we don't find ways to reopen ourselves, reconnect ourselves, be available for dialogue put down the anger for it we're just gonna float away yeah the planet planet, is gonna burn and flood yeah if we can't find ways to come together as citizens so i mean yeah for me it doesn't seem like uh uh, you know becoming less edgy in my old age or some such for me it feels like let's really look at this situation right and what it means to continue our infighting as workers of the world, you right, know, yeah. or what it is going to take to unite against something that's very urgent. Right. Yeah. Speaking of not selling out, I mean, the, there's a really amazing story in your book about when you were going to, you were invited on uh, Letterman, I think it was, and you wanted to play Subdivision. Subdivision, and, yeah. Uh, and they didn't want to. And it, you, you basically drew a line in the sand and said it's out of that or nothing. First of all, most probably artists probably wouldn't make that decision, but can you talk about how difficult it is? Obviously, you're an artist who has a lot of politics associated with your your image, but how hard is it to do that in the modern sort of commercial construct? It's very difficult to market yourself uh, when people don't necessarily want certain kinds of political speech attached to your work. I mean, it's as hard as you decide it is. Mm -hmm. You know... When you were bringing up the, that, that yeah, that was just sort of one, a story that I told about an example of how you have to be willing to make sacrifices. You know, some people sacrifice their lives right. for democracy, for justice, for, you know, I could sacrifice a little exposure, mm. a few album sales. You know, it. when are we going to step up with our own, you know, I mean, I, I was reminded when you were talking about the, you know, the basketball coach who said, I'm with the people fighting for democracy in China. And then all the, you know, the NBA profits. Wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Immediately. It's more important for us to make maximize profits in China selling merch than it is to support democracy for millions of people. And then everybody just sort of got on board with shutting that coach down. And unless we all make ourselves accountable in some way to, um, our own democratic ideals, um, you know, if we are constantly putting self-serving profits over uh, justice for millions of people, for, you know, anybody other than ourselves, um, we can't change things, yeah. you know. So, gee whiz, I just, uh, I was, it was very disheartening to see how many people jumped on that coach and, 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 and players, you know, and people, you know, saying you have to think about what you're doing and from my perspective, he's the only one thinking about mm-hmm. what he's doing. All of you who say shut up because it's going to hit our pocketbook are that, thinking very small. It was amazing how fast 
the players basically got away with that. You know what I mean? There, there was there was a little bit of blowback when people like LeBron James and some of the other famous athletes basically said, you know, hey, you have to stop that. That hurts us in the pocketbook. And but it was maybe a day or two of you know negative headlines, and then it was gone. And it and, was, and conversely, can you imagine if that coach? had stuck to his guns and people had rallied around him and the NBA said, okay, then don't sell our merch. Imagine how that would have affected, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Chinese government. You know, if you could unify behind some basic principles, if you can have a little bit of self-sacrifice, you can have powerful effects. But China won. Dictatorship won. Yeah, they could have that, had a huge that. effect because people in China love basketball. They yeah. love watching it. So, yeah. the, so if, if the if NBA cut off, yeah. could just stand up for a basic principle of democracy, uh, I bet the outcome would be very different. Mm-hmm. Be a slam dunk. Slam <laughs> and dunk. And that's me. <laughs> my, my, uh, Katie's sports. the punster. I was yeah. about to say touchdown. I was like, yeah. no, 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 that's not it, right? Wrong sport. Yeah, <laughs> that would be yeah. funnier, actually. Know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, are there other stories that, that you've ta- talked about in your book or haven't spoken about that you want to share about pressure to, to conform or, or pressure to self-censor or say something, not say something, other things that you've struggled with? Because that is something you struggle with no matter how principled you are because, you know, you may, may be about album sales or maybe you're like, well, I want to reach this many more people with my message. So do I cut it down a little bit here and not sing this song, but so they will be able to hear me sing, I don't know, um, To the Teeth or whatever song mm-hmm. that has a political message. Um, you know, you do have to make calculations. So how do you... Or do you? Or not, you don't, I I mean, I've been, uh, you know, I have the luxury of being cavalier about it, I guess, because the universe has held me, Mm. you know, and my music and my career. So it's been a long time since I struggled Mm -hmm. to make rent, you know. Sure. Um, And people's choices come from very different circumstances. And uh, so, but for me... I relish being an example of somebody who never watered it down mm-hmm. and and tried to be present in all those little moments of, you know. I mean, I think one time I was in Singapore and they said, you can't play promiscuity or any song with an F word in it. Right. or and, and I was like, well, I guess this is your country and that's yeah. your law. And yeah. I'm so, all right, yeah. I can play other songs tonight. Right. It just felt like... I agreed to come here, and yeah. I have to abide by your laws when I'm here. Getting arrested in Singapore would not. Yeah. So, but fun. mostly I just, yeah, no, if you're not willing or if you don't want me to be fully myself in my art, and in a, and then I won't avail myself of whatever right. opportunity, you know. Uh, and And so... You know, I like being an example of somebody who got away with yeah. being as radical as they right, are yeah. and never tried to play that game of, you know, well, if I watered it down here or this sure. way or that way or played along, I could expand my audience, blah, blah, blah. Right. Because what, you know, what's the end goal? Yeah. The biggest audience or, you know, the truest life, you know. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, you guys. Mm -hmm. Thanks. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.